This week's sponsor is Hydra's Teeth Instant Flunkies. Did Sword Adventurers just burst into your lair? Did your army of minions get killed off by your latest death machine? Is some demigod trying to steal your fleece? Well, get yourself some Hydra's Teeth and soon you'll have a mindless workforce you've always deserved. Pass a handful of Hydra's Teeth on any soil and soon you'll have a horde of Myrmidons just waiting for your next order. Won't those adventurers be surprised? You'll be king of your own domain in no time. Remember, that's Hydra's Teeth Instant Flunkies from Colchis Smith Incorporated. Colchis Myth Incorporated not responsible for loss of property or life due to Mirbadon confusion or tricky Argonauts. This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the 496th episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss just-in-time campaign design in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. I'm Chris. And I am very warm tonight. Yes, cool. yes you are. Hey, this is the uh, first time in a little while we've all, uh, we've all made it to the table. Yeah, it's been, it's a, right. been, a, been a minute. Been uh-huh. a minute. And we are sitting in Studio 210B. Because yes. we can't park in your studio. And you can't park at my studio, yeah. <laughs> no. the, the, my studio is snowed out. Curse mm-hmm. that 77 inches of snow across the region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just, just so that if you were watching the TV and you were like, wow, I wonder where the misdirected Mark guys are on that Buffalo map. Bob, Bob and I are in the north part, very little snow. Jerry's on the middle line, some snow. Yeah. And Chris is buried in snow. And it's even funkier, snow. too, because literally... Phil, as the crow flies, is like a quarter mile away from me. It's very close. And I got like about six inches. I got a foot. Phil got about a foot. <laughs> I got about two, two and a half feet. And I got six and a half, seven-ish. And that's not uncommon. And I'll just briefly say this and then we can jump into announcements and stuff like that. I was that. in Vegas. I came home from the desert to this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a way to come. I texted you. I was like, are you checking out the weather while you're out there? Yes, I'm watching all the snow. <laughs> I watched a a sped up video of the 40 hours of the weekend, the weather, like the weather map of the 40 hours of the weekend. That band is like as classic lake effect snow as you can get. Like it ripped right across the length of the lake and just pounded the South towns. And then you see it pop up, pop down, pop up, pop up, back down, back down. Like it just, it was brutal. It was awful. What's, what's funny is that it, it comes in a straight line. And you can actually see like the, the barrier of it. And it goes right down the street that my office is on. And so my office gets a little bit of snow and I live about a mile, about a half mile north of there. So I get a little bit of all the snow, but none of the main stuff. I was all excited to be like severely snowed in, which did not pan out. And then Chris flew back into like a snowpocalypse. My favorite part was, is me and Jen uh, left Vegas at midnight on Saturday. My family who was with us, because we're there for my brother and my sister-in-law's 10th um, wedding anniversary. And they renewed their vows with all this that was fun they left at noon that day we all got home before they did right we got home before they did yeah because if you because if you left early your flight got canceled correct and you had to like reroute you left i watched because i was like watching out for you and i was like watching the board at the airport it is nothing but cancellations chris's flight and then like some other flights later like sunday you got like the only flight that was scheduled to go to Buffalo that made it to Buffalo Yippers. that weekend. It was quite an event. Welcome to Western New York. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, which if you ever moved to Western New York, live above that snow line. Yep. We <laughs> could say no, no hurricanes, no tornadoes, no torrential flooding, no forest fires, no volcanoes, just a little bit of snow. But here's the thing about seven feet of snow. Your neighbors all came out. 
Yeah. Everybody's digging everybody out. Yeah, it was nice. Everybody's taking care of everybody. That's how we roll around here. Like, you know? Your house is still there. <laughs> so yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what do we got next? Temperature check. Bob, how are you feeling? Uh, a little warm. Um, I'm not used to having this many people in my in my abode. And so, you know, body temperature cranked it up a little bit. So I'm uh, naturally the place is cooling down because it's at night and, you know, it's cold outside. That's because we're all so hot. Yes. Well, yeah, thank, thank you for offering up your place. Yes. We know that my place has sound things. Like I was afraid we wouldn't. Yeah, I have no idea if there are sound issues with my neighbors or not, but we'll find out. I hear them rocking through the wall every now and then. Yeah, they, 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 they like to thump the bass over there. Yeah. <laughs> We know, Chris, you're good because I tested you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm COVID <laughs> fine. Like, not, not positive at all. I literally was the COVID clinic. Chris came to yeah. my house. I had it set up on the table. I'm like, here, I'll do your test for you. Like, just put this in your yeah. nose. You, give you, it back to me. You know, man, the desert was wonderful. I didn't hurt at all. <laughs> all of my joints were lovely. I came home one day of being in the pea soup of Buffalo and everything is swollen and hurts again. This, yeah, some, some people are built it for it. Not, not my favorite. Jerry, I'm doing fine. I actually got lots of sleep this weekend, so despite the fact that I was moving a lot of snow, that might be why I got so much sleep. I just collapsed. Yeah, there it you helps. Go. A little exercise. No, get it. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm awesome. um, All right. I'm heading into Thanksgiving vacation. Before we jump into our main segment. We're doing announcements now, right? Yes. Yeah. We're going on break. Yes. Is this the last? Is this, is this the last us one. before we go we to We talked break? about it last episode when you weren't here. but Sure, that's fine. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going on break, but there will be content every week that we are on break. Yes, yeah, there is. We, yes. we worked hard to make you content so that we could... By work hard, I just made them record an extra extra off the cuff segment every every week for the last like using the melon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we had the time. It turns out that one, it's great for warm ups. It is, yep. and two, it's content that we can use in a jam. Like it's like as if we yeah. were it's actually even, banking episodes ahead of us. Yeah, it's not even in a jam. Like they're fun discussions. Yeah. I like having those conversations. Oh, I love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah if you haven't if you haven't heard an off the cuff episode, which I'm sure you have, because there was one out you yeah. know, last week. We just pick a thing and then we talk about it. And now I'm starting to put them in the Slack room. So mm-hmm. if you want to join those conversations and have your content read, be a part of the Slack room. It's like a dollar on Patreon. Some of our future content may also be inspired from Mastodon because some of us are now starting to uh, take residence in yes. Mastodon. Maybe as... we should just start a Mastodon misdirected Mark server thing, I guess. Ugh, I don't think we want to be in charge nor pay for a federated. Oh, we'd have to pay for it. Never mind. Though. No, no, no. We, yeah. no, it's fine. There's like one big one called Dice Camp that um, oh. Sage Latour is running. Okay. So I'm on it. Send us on it. Maybe we'll all just go congregate yeah. there. I haven't tried it out yet. So yeah, yeah there's there. it's Twitter like. It's a thing. The the it's whole social media thing is in 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 flux. Yes. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Hive as far as the interface goes. And I got the a mixed bag on some of it. The yeah. problem with Hive is it's app only. You can't do like a there's no web version or anything like that. And there's still some issues because they're still young. And there's they're like, still it's working on two developers stuff. or something. They're yes. not, like they're not. They're not even remotely prepared, not prepared for what's about no. to happen to them. I'm telling you, man, the best way to interact with us is just our Slack channel. No, that is 100% the best way to interact <laughs> yeah. with us. Is like, yes. come to our walled garden. Yeah, man, I check like, it. I check it every day. Someday like, down the road, times. there might yeah. be better, you know, additional methods, but Slack channel is really uh, Until better. a social media platform takes control again, and we're like living in this influx thing where we're all kind of in different social networks trying to figure things out. The one place you can guarantee all of us will wind up at least once a day yep. is in the Slack channel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's do that. That main segment. Thing. Let's do the thing with the thing. Workshop. Workshop. We're going to just figure out this campaign right now, right here when we need it. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Don't worry about it. We're going to make it up as we go here tonight in the workshop. And don't, don't suck. suck. Oh, yeah. And by the way. In the past few months, we've talked by we, me, we've talked about a lot about our Ox game uh, and the Knights Black Agents game uh, that I'm currently running. 
in those games, I'm doing a little something, not that I haven't done it before, but I'm doing a little something that I've been calling just-in-time campaign design. Tonight, we're going to discuss it. Um, we're going to discuss the concept uh, as one way to run a campaign. To be clear, it's just one method for running a campaign. It works for some groups. It works for some games. It works for some game masters. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of yes. thing. But you just might be one of those game masters. And you might already be doing it and just not know that it has a name. So let's unpack what just-in-time campaign design means. And Bob, hit me up with that bumper. I would I love, love so to much. hit you up with that bumper. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Tonight, uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, as in passing dishes around the table, I am going to share up these definitions with my co-hosts. And starting with campaign, as a little bit of a recap, yeah. So from the fabulous engine publishing book, Odyssey. Oh, didn't you name that book? Yes. As a matter of fact, I did. A campaign is a series of gaming sessions focused on a group of characters that maintains a sense of continuity. Later expanded in our upcoming episode on arcs, which will be after the break, a month and a half from now. One or more arcs played together creates a campaign, and this increases the scope and potential complexity. In fact, the potential scope too, sure. depending on if the arcs are self-contained or not. Next one is campaign design. These are the activities around creating material for your campaign, like ideas for arcs, stories, NPCs, locations, etc. Organizations, things like that. Phil, would you tell me about Just in Time? Just in Time. So this thing has an actual uh, real world name, right? JIT, Just in Time, derives its name from a manufacturing style created by Toyota in the 1950s and 60s. It strived to match production with demand by only supplying goods that have been ordered and then focus on efficiency, productivity, and reduction of waste. So the idea was like, look, don't make 10,000 bumpers if we need to only make 1,000 cars. Sure. Like make 1,000 bumpers and bring them to the assembly line so that we can put them on the cars. Strangely enough, I think this is actually what my brother does for GM. Oh, yeah, it could be, right? Like it's, 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 it's very big into manu... Like JIT is a very big manufacturing thing. It's This is like supply chain stuff and things like that. So if we're translating it to RPGs, then... Just-in-time campaign design. Nice rhyme to it. Just-in-time campaign Just design. Just-in-time campaign design. Gonna help you with your game. It needs work. Workshop. It <laughs> we'll work. Yeah. Um, so Just this strives to match the creation of campaign material to the demand of when it's needed in the campaign by writing up and creating those things just before you need to use them in your game. Mm -hmm. So... When we talk about like just before, like that immediate future, we're talking about like the next story or the next session, as opposed to creating things like way in advance and keeping them like in a binder that you eventually pull out at some point. But it's been months since then. So just in time campaign design is creating material for your campaign when it's needed just before that next story or session and leaving elements that aren't needed yeah. until later date. So I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the things that can create demands for material in a campaign? Sure, we can kick it around the table. But uh, for instance, like an organization. Maybe we've named the organization previously, mm -hmm. but haven't defined anything about it. So now I have to do a bunch of work to create the organization. Yeah, yeah. Now would be the time to do that work. So that moment when your player characters fixate on that NPC that you just threw in there to have an NPC in the room, and now all of a sudden they're like, this is our favorite character ever. Who now, if you're doing this in like just in time, you might decide, yes, this is their favorite NPC, or yes, this is the villain in disguise because oh, oh no. that reveal will be way more fun later kind of thing, right? You have that moment to create it, right? After they've kind of fixated on it. Similar to Bob, when your player characters suddenly grab onto that little piece of background minutia that you tossed in and they decide that's a major plot point they're going to follow now. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming it's the same, like Chris, for you or for Jerry. Like there are things I just make up in the middle of a session and I'm just throwing stuff yep. out because you guys are asking questions. And then somebody's like, oh, that's cool. We should do something with it. I'm like writing it down <laughs> on my index card. Like, OK, that's sticking around. You just made the list in the after show. <laughs> let's if the after show, let's talk about what happened in my V&V campaign like that. I know I'm such a front load campaign designer and I don't like design all of the bits, but I design all of the things so I can answer random questions like that. And then I will flesh them out as need be. So I think that there's, and I, we might talk about this a little later in the segment, right? I think that when you're starting a campaign, there's like a certain amount of stuff you need to have done in order to do what you're saying, like to be able to get into like that, like to make characters and get into that first session. Well, I can either do it that way or I can just make it all up at the table. Like I could do sure. one or the other. Like you could, you can make that choice. Absolutely. One is way more potentially inconsistent. I, I like to make things, but not always nail down the specifics like for instance in ox the builders if you ask me right now are the builders good or evil i still don't have a definitive answer on it have they done good and evil things yes do i know what the answer is to it not really they're peaks i had 33 caverns inside of that mountain that were already oh yeah yeah like not defined they just had names sure and then i had the town of foot and i had like seven npcs there and i knew that there was a cult yeah like literally just enough that was it yeah just enough to be like okay i i have enough in my head to get this to the table and push it into motion. Yeah, and then well, I can just build stuff as we go. Also, and, and I'm sure this is this is very big for Chris because this this feels like a very Chris thing. You you have enough there to understand how the world works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with Chris's Archmage's legacy campaign with all of the elemental additions that you that you added in. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, there's a like lot more. You effort. needed to know how all of that stuff went together so that it would work. And then when we hit the world and started interacting with it, you know, you had like some consistency with like, okay, well, I know what's going to happen here because this is, this is how I work. And, yeah. and with the Archmage's Legacy, there's also the considerations of changing the way certain things like magic and that work. I can tell that Chris has put some thought into how does this affect the politics of the game world and what's going on because of it. You guys will say that stuff, but to go with Phil's just in time thing, I might know all those things, but do you guys make a choice about what you're doing? I don't, I don't actually write any adventures. Mm-hmm. It's all setting building yes. until it's... Yes. Until it's not setting building, it's adventure design. Mm-hmm. And then if I have to build setting around the adventure design, yep. like I know the points that they're going to go to, but I have no idea exactly what those are fleshed out wise. They're just outlines until yes. I start writing for them. Yeah. Like a lot of times I just have like nebulous terms in a. Sure. Like I have nebulous terms in my notes that are like at some placeholders. Yeah. At some point, this has to become a thing. So, so we're, we're like jumping over what, what yeah, we're well, let's, talking about. Yeah, so let's actually like talk dive a little into it because then yeah, we can yeah. actually talk about this. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what does just-in-time campaign design look like? Well, we're going to provide an example. Uh, what example do we want to provide? With, provide here. Let's make a fantasy campaign. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about an arc where the characters are striving to obtain the blood glyph. I like mm-hmm. it. That yeah. sounds like a particularly good MacGuffin. So I like that. <laughs> this glyph is something that they'll need to beat Baron Bomb badasses, but later. Yeah. Because I like alliteration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm predicting that the arc will be about four or five stories and stories for us is the beginning, the middle and end of like a, of a, of a tale, mm-hmm. essentially. Absolutely. Tale is not a word that we have coined in any way, shape, or Correct. form. Story is though. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it also will depend on how the events play out, how long it'll be. My initial thought is to have this story arc end in a ruined temple located in the underbelly of a nearby city. So yeah, it's a nice aspiration. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. It's a good start. So I got a plan. Mm-hmm. We're going to start playing. Things are going well. The third story ends and I ask my players a question. What do you guys want to see in the upcoming session? Oh, I got an idea. Let's go to the high seas. Okay. Uh, well, they've been adventuring on the coast this entire time, staring longingly at the sea, but I haven't ventured out onto the water yet with them. That's a, and now Jerry's like, let's go to the sea. I'm I like, want to be a pirate. Yeah, actually, I want to go to the sea too. I think that would be really yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. 
Well, I was going to put this temple under the city, but I guess I can just as easily put it at the bottom of the sea and let them sail around. So I haven't prepared the temple of the city yet because it hasn't come up in the game, which is what Phil is saying. Like, I have a name of a city, but mm -hmm. I haven't drawn out a city or done any of that. I also didn't foreshadow it being there because I didn't put in the effort. Yay for being lazy. Yes. <laughs> you know, or you could also just be an adult with other responsibilities. I mean, that's a thing. Pre yes. Preparation pl plays, pays off in the long run. Yeah, lazy yeah. pays off right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. So exactly. In this case, it's easy enough for me to make that change without messing up the game shared narrative space, you know? Yeah. And I don't have to retcon anything because we that we've played out so far. No, it's we're still really looking useful. for the blood cliff. Now the next clue is like, oh, it's in the water. Ooh. Mm. Like, let's get a ship. Yeah, yeah, because that's what I that's what I do then, right? Mm -hmm. The next story, I'm just mm -hmm. dropping clues that lead you out to the location of submerged temple to find that blood yeah. cliff. So instead of so instead of it being in the city of, of Cliffport, now it's in the sunken ruins of Cliffport. Sure. Mountport. Yes. Mountport. Mountport. The, <laughs> suck it, the sunken ruins of Mountport. Sure. It used to be a mountain. Oh, yeah. now it's no, pretty. it's a, yes. um, it's a, it's a joke from, um, I don't get it. Uh, those guys that were in game college changer. Game, changer. Game, game changer. There's okay. a, there's a musical <clears throat> one that they do. It's a town called Mountport. Ah, how yes. can it be? Yeah. Send will appreciate that. Okay. Any hoozles. Any hoozles. Move Super on. inside jokes. So in this example, the GM has a rough idea of how the arc should go. Yes, I do. Along with an idea of how it should end. I do. Right. But during play, they take in the wants of the players, make an adjustment to how the arc will end to both complete the arc as intended, but also to give the players more of what they want. That, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So by way of comparison, another way to have prepared this campaign arc is maybe I just sat down and I wrote out all five of the sessions for the arc, right? Yep. I laid them all out. I'm like session one's here, session two's here, all the way to session five in the, in the, in the underbelly of the city. Check. And then at the end of the third, third session, when the player's like, man, we would love to go out on the water. I'm like, yeah, maybe the next arc, I'll put you guys out in the water. Like, I, I got five things already prepped here. Like, I'm finishing this thing out and write a note to myself. Next arc after Blood Glyph, water. This could also happen when you're running a pre-published adventure because those tend to be already designed for you and the players might decide to go completely off book and want to do something that's not in the game itself. And so you now have to make something up as you go. Same deal as writing out your arcs completely. Mm -hmm. I gotta pause you. How did we come up with the name pre-published? Like... Did it publish itself before it was published? Like, <laughs> that's a good, good question. Like, because, I think it's just published, right? Like, I don't know. We, we I don't know. I, like, somewhere we picked up the word pre-published, but I'm like sitting looking at it, and I'm like, I think campaigns. it's just published. I know where it came from. Prepared but that's okay. adventure. Like, did it? Is, is there? Yeah. Is there an origin? Pre-published. Yeah, come yeah from? it's it's because when we did the when we did the episode on uh, published adventures, I was trying to come up with a term, and I tossed pre-published out when we were talking about it, and it just stuck with us as we went. But yes. It should be just published campaigns. All right, I'm all right. We're pre-published, published. published. Like there's some time. There's some timey wimey stuff in there. Sure. Yeah. Wibbly wobbly. Wibbly wobbly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, either approach is better than the other. We're just using this for a comparison. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't want to like I, again. I hate when. I, so I love when we come up with stuff like, oh, this is a way to do it. I don't want you in the like in the least to think like, oh, I'm doing shade job GMing because I don't ever do this. Like it's fine. <clears> you don't no, have no. to do this because I feel like this just in time style. I don't know that it's as deliberate as you're saying it is, but I feel like most game masters run their games like this. I, I feel like they do it at least on occasion without realizing that, that, you know, like it has a name, like they may not do it all the time, but I'm sure they do it. I can remember doing stuff like this all the way back to our Iron Heroes campaign mm -hmm. where I was like very loosey goosey about like, I know where this campaign ends. I know that there'll be some arcs to get there, but I didn't really know what they were until like we got a lot closer. I think the difference is now is like when I'm doing it in Ox, I'm very deliberate about it. Like I'm very deliberate not to over plan things way in advance because you guys have such latitude in that game of things that you can invent, create, theorize, things like that, that I don't 
try to create too much because there's a good chance it would bump into something that you guys are doing. And I side with you guys in terms of stuff you create before I put like my final spin on it. Like you guys have been on this quest for a while to find this hidden city. We only recently figured out where it was theoretically, yes. right? That it's in this dimensional pocket. Only like five days before that session did I figure out exactly where it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had like some rough ideas. And then the week of the session, I'm like, you better sit your ass down and come up with some pseudoscience explanation for where this thing is before you hit the table. The time is up. You now need to place this thing in the universe and make it logical enough for you guys to play from that point on. And so I did part of my campaign prep was sitting there with that little weird piece of paper doing the wormhole trick. Yeah. Like where like, oh, but it's only half a wormhole. Yeah. Kind of thing. But I literally didn't know that. So I think my difference now as a GM, because I think I agree with both of you. I think on some level, many of us are doing it. But what I think when we do these kinds of shows is when you learn about what exactly it is, you can be even more deliberate about it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. When I was using a published adventure or campaign, I didn't always do this because I had it right there. So then I had to be very more, much more deliberate about pointing my players to the next yes. plot points. Otherwise it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's one of the reasons I'm not, I just, it's not that I dislike published adventures. They're just not my gig. I like doing this activity. I, so I just, I like doing this. Sure. I, I like both. What yeah. are you going to say? I've, I've done both. I've, I've been, I've been doing this kind of thing since like 82, 83, because there were often times that I was, creating games on the fly as, as I suddenly realized that we had players showing up that I wasn't expecting. And even with pre-published adventures, um, <laughs> published adventures, pre-published adventures uh, might as well be the same thing. There's like an equal sign between those two things. Apparently we're going to have, have to do some work. Oh. I, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I really, I think I, I can't remember running any game as written where we didn't have somebody decide they wanted to do something different and we just had to come up with something. And we're going to talk about this a little later, but I mean, there were, there were ways to, prepare for that to prepare for just in time situations in places where you had some thing going forward. And so I think that it's worth remembering that there's a lot of different ways to work with it. And like you said, Absolutely. it's about everybody's done it one time or another. I mean, when I was using commercial adventures, just try that one. Oh, that one's commercial. good. You good like commercial? Job, Bob. commercial adventures. I name shit. Boom. It's his, it's a super wow, commercial adventures. What if it was given away for free? Still commercial. Still commercial. So are you, is that all you were going to say? Yeah, I just wanted to, say. Just <laughs> wanted to get the word commercial in there. <laughs> okay. I, that's I wanted to solve our conundrum. Sure. Yeah, that, okay. you, Thank you, Bob. Commercial solved our conundrum. So what does this do in a campaign, Jerry? Well, there's another re there are a couple of reasons why you might want to take this approach. We're going to list a couple of them here, but this is not going to be a complete and it's not going to be any particular order. First, it means you've got less upfront work to put the campaign together. If you're only writing the things you need just before you need them, then you're writing less than if you worked out everything that you think you needed for the campaign. And as a lot of us gamers get older and have less and less available time, it's nice to have something that you can just work on a little bit instead of having to sit down and write out 45 pages of backstory first. This is true while the campaign is going, and especially true at the start of the campaign when you don't know where the players are going to take the story. Also, if you end up with a campaign that just doesn't take off and you end it early, then you have not invested too much time or material <laughs> into getting it started. Phil? One time... There were 50 pages of background for a superhero game. That and went, then it died. That went, four, that went less than four sessions. It's like you solved the campaign in the 50 pages of I made superheroes boring. Yeah. And then we played it, and it was boring. <laughs> and then we didn't play it anymore. Yeah. I created a campaign world, uh, created a campaign story, created an adventure and everything. 
the players killed each other off in the opening scene. The game lasted less than two hours and the entire campaign was over. To caveat it, it wasn't a game of paranoia, right? No. Okay, because that would have been a perfectly acceptable paranoia adventure. It was was Palladium Fantasy. So first of all, before we just to stay (laughs) before we get back on topic, first of all, it probably took them about six hours to make characters. Palladium was awful for that stuff. I don't know what you guys were doing. It took you guys hours to make characters. Followed all the rules. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it wasn't champions. No, no it wasn't no. champions. It you, like, you, you could create, you could create a, 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 a palladium character in about an hour, hour and a half. That's, but yeah. that's still too much time. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> still, I'm always fascinated about stories of, you know, player mortality at the table. Player <laughs> mortality, character mortality. The, 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 best, the best part about this was that the entire group of nine players, nine characters, they <clears> all died, and I didn't kill any of them. <laughs> yeah. That means you're doing it right. So, I'd have fired that group. I'd have been like, you're out of here. I'm right. getting a group that can actually see play my campaign. See if I can't ask a question. Shitting all over it. Put us back on topic. Get us back on topic. Thank you. For God's there, was sake. A thing, there was a thing that was said in here that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the start of the campaign, mm-hmm. like putting all this effort into it. Mm-hmm. I think if you do all that, that effort, put all that effort into it, and you kind of know what's going on. Mm-hmm. We have better tools these days to like yes. make sure that the players do the thing that, that you want them oh, to yeah. do. It's called it's called session zero. And being yes. like, this yes. is what the game's about. This is what you're going to be doing. Are you going, are you all on board with this? If you guys kill each other, if you folks kill each other in the first session, you're all fired. <laughs> yeah, you're all fired. Yes. From this I game. would I, I would not to run that game fired. to be fired. To be less vitriolic about it, I suppose. Let's just not kill each other. Let's just all be friends. Let's Can we all just, just get along. Let's just have a let, let's just agree. We're not doing PvP here. Yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 What are the kind of things that you might need at the start of the campaign versus later in the campaign? You need enough detail in the setting for the players to be able to make their character. Yes. You don't need Absolutely. it to be super detailed, but I need to tell you enough about this setting so that when you say, what are the, what do the characters do in this world? I have an answer for that. And this does not have to be long. Let me explain. No. Correct. We're going to a mountain in the north. There is a dragon that used to live there. It's treasures all over the place. There's a little town there that caters to adventurers. Your adventurers looking for money, fame, fortune, whatever. You tell me, but you're going here and you're going into the mountain to adventure. Do you Rock need any roll. more than that? Not really. No, that's enough to get started. Rock and roll. I did that in what? 20 seconds? 15 yeah, seconds? Absolutely. I did, um, I did one for um, a game that I played with um, Senda Andy and Senda Sun, where I very quickly made up like a paragraph about these um, solar rangers and all this stuff and was like, it's like an 80s cartoon. There could be a toy line for Soul this game, right? Rangers. Yes, like you fly around, you do good things, you fight bad guys. You can be more complicated. You don't have to be. Yeah, but, but the idea is if we're going just in time, provide just enough material. If you want to be a little bit more complex with it, we talked about this on our uh, off the cuff from last week, you can make a one sheet. Oh, we yeah. haven't talked about a one sheet in for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep. In for a long time, forever, a long time. Forever. Like either way. In many moons. One so, sheets are great. So, yeah. So going back to that idea, what do you need? My answer to that is right. I need I need to give you enough as players so that you could get a character made. Yes. Yes. Any other any other anybody else? I mean, just to to, start to to expand off that just a little bit. There's nothing worse than saying, "Okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to make characters. Right. What do you want to be? Where are we? Where's the framework? Where's the framework? Analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. The more blanks you have, the harder it is to fill them. Yep, creative if constraints. Right? Yeah, if you've got some box that you have to build inside, now you've got a place to start from. <laughs> and this is why it's a good idea as a GM to have <clears throat> some other tools in your background. So if the players ask a question like, are there any organizations up there? Even if you don't know, have something in the back of your mind, what kind of organization would I have there if I wanted to? Yes, there's a, a professional treasure hunting guild, or there's a group of clerics that uh, collect dragon scales and worship the dragon. 
and they go around helping people by using the dragon skills to build things. That's it. That's all you need. You don't have to put mm-hmm. that out there initially because if the players don't grab onto it, but have some idea in your mind of things like that or just make it up off the cuff like we just did. There's all kinds of ways to creatively constrain everybody, yourself and the players at the table. Yeah. The other, the other mm-hmm. like the, all the players at the table. You can even just ask the player, like, oh, if you're interested in or being part of an organization, what kind of organization would you like to be a part of, right? Yes. Is it a, like, is it a Pathfinders Guild? Is it a Fraternal Order? Is it an Order of Knights, Clerics? From there, you can totally just build upon it and say, totally, like, let's do it. Like, let's build your organization right here on the fly. Mm-hmm. I mean, and gee, maybe, this is a fantasy city. There, there's a Thieves Guild, right? Yeah, of course there there's is. There's totally a Thieves is. Guild. <laughs> Yeah. What do you want it like? Do you want it like a mob? Do you want it like a secret society? That kind of thing. And then you don't have to tell them. You don't even have to say that. You can just tell them like, yes, it is a bunch of people who are second story workers. Sure. That are are also uh, run grifts. Now later, because this is a just in time campaign later, I might tack some additional information onto that organization later in the campaign where I'm like, you know what? Be interesting if they were in cahoots with the mayor. Mm hmm. Right? Like, oh, I'll just add that on. I don't have to come up with that right away. Or they were a subsection of a larger larger guild yeah. that did a lot of other things like assassination, racketeering, whatever. Yeah, this is literally or, or, just or, a... Or take it a different direction. They're actually been organized by a deposed prince who's in hiding, and he's slowly building an army by training all these people on in, subter- in subterfuge and the like. Yeah, so the idea is you can help players with that piece that they need right at the moment, and then you can just build on it later. Okay. So what we're saying is at the start is we just need foundational stuff. Yeah. Later, it's about fleshing out the things that you've already built or building yes. new things that people are interested in. And sure. this ties into our next point. Yep. The second one is you are deferring designs until you need them. So you are using the best information possible in your, in your design. That is that is the point of this just-in-time mm-hmm. because you don't have to retcon anything in, in your own head even. You're creating those elements that you can utilize right up to that point to inform the design too. Mm-hmm. It's very useful that way. It's especially beneficial when creating stats for NPCs and creatures. If you created the stats for your opposition at the start of the campaign, you have no idea what the characters are going to be like versus creating the stats for those big bads just before the climactic battle. Right. And you can work in all sorts of fun stuff. Believe me, man, I didn't stat up Tanareel in my Archmage's Legacy campaign oh, yeah. for these two guys to fight until the week before they fought. <laughs> I literally took the character sheets from the players for the yep. Demon uh, King. Yeah, for the Demon yep. King, took them and went and studied them and was like, all right, how do I build an opponent that will be the one that could last more than three turns? And two will be interesting to fight. Yeah. yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have a theme or anything like that for these things that where I was building up towards. Right. Sure. I hinted at them. I knew what was going to be the, the, the thematic parts of these fights and these encounters and these bad guys. But I waited till the last moment to like build them into a thing so that it wouldn't feel busted for the characters yes. to deal with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Computer, create a Holmesian opponent that's worthy of data. Big Wait, mistake. what? What did you just... Big mistake. <laughs> Wrong. Should have been some safety. Like Man. The computer should have been... Uh, wait a minute. Uh, no. Didn't they turn off the safety for that um, episode of Star Trek? They We're might have. Episode of Star Trek now. I don't think they did. They might have. Somebody should have gotten in trouble. <clears throat> like, somebody should have gotten in trouble for making an opponent better than Data. Like... <laughs> By the way, is this cheating? No. It's storytelling. Yeah. This is yeah. storytelling. Yes. You're you providing challenges for the characters to overcome that show off the strengths and weaknesses of the characters. This is yeah. the point. I think it's only cheating if you're like... Now I'm going to build a character that absolutely nerfs every one of these motherfuckers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if that's like, your whole goal, as, as a matter of yes. fact, I'm going to tell but you. But also, then quit as a GM because you're shitty. Yeah. <laughs> as a GM, I'm going to say I think that you should not create adversaries whose sole job is to nerf yes, players' abilities. Not. Don't don't create an anti magic zone if you've got a wizard in the party. Don't you can, yeah. you can do that once. You can do that once. You can't do that all the time. 
And it's not the thing that you want to do in your final encounter because that's where the players, it's the final encounter, it's where the players want to shine. And so if you have, you know, anti-magic zone or a character who's immune to piercing weapons when you've got a ranger in the party, you're just going to be making one player feel useless for that game. Here's the thing. If you think that, you know, it might be interesting, like say, okay, we got an anti-magic zone during this climactic fight. It's not going to be up for the whole fight to nerf the the wizard completely. You give them hints along the way so that they know, oh, there's an anti-magic zone here. There's a way to turn this off. Now you send the rogue to use his rogue skills to go find the off switch mm-hmm. so that he can give the mage the boost to go kick the guy's ass. At which 100%. point you're not creating a villain whose who's sole ability is to do that. You're yes. creating a situation that can be gotten around by the players. That's okay. Yes. yes. That's dramatic and fun. Yeah. Yes. Dramatic. Yeah. And it creates teamwork opportunities. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, Bob's, that, ex- Bob's example created teamwork opportunities. That's a very excellent. different example, right? If you, yeah. th- My point about quitting as a GM is if you were literally like, I'm going to make this bad guy just to nerf these guys and punch him around the table for a little while. Like, mm-hmm. why are you in this game? He yeah. literally has a cone of anti-magic emanating from his eyes. From his well, ass. Just like bite me. You can't sneak just, up on him either. Well, if he's, <laughs> if he's emanating from the eye, that means it's only just one direction. So then, you know, yeah. surround him. What so, happens if he don't loses do the eye? Also, put his eye out. You know, you can do a whole lot of things, right? Don't put your eye out, kid. Anyhow. For everybody out there, the storytelling beat is that you will have a challenge for them to overcome that is not the obvious way to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And then, but will make sense when it is done. That is how mo- a lot of stories get resolved for characters. It is okay yes. to sweat them a little. It is okay yeah. to sweat In fact, them it's yes. fun to sweat them a little. In fact, otherwise, Gonna what's make the you point? Sweat. Sure, yeah. they actually like it too. Yeah. Like, they might not think they do, but that little bit of tension until mm-hmm. they figure out like, oh, oh, sure, quick, send the rogue, and then they're like, everybody's super jazzed. Yeah, the beginning of the fight, they're probably thinking, you fucker. Oh. This is why every time that Jerry or Barber like, man, and those encounters were great. I'm like, that's why, because I sweat them a little, but yeah. not so much that they couldn't deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. No, we encountered like the, the Tenriel guy. He had a lot of things that made like the anti-gravity ability, mm-hmm. the, the armor that he had, his mm-hmm. blooded abilities, all those made him challenging, but none of them made him unbeatable. It just meant that we had to change our tactics a few times, but at no point were any of us going, well, I'm useless in this turn. Correct. Yeah. There were a few moments where somebody, me, was like, oh shit, I'm going to die. That's that's accurate. <laughs> but you weren't. But useless. I'm used to that. Yeah, because that's what I do. There's, there's a difference between that though and feeling useless. Yes. There, there's a situation where you're like, okay, my favorite ability doesn't work, but I've got other things I can do, and I'm just going to stand here for a turn because nothing I do is going to have an effect this turn. That's a different situation, and Chris makes sure that we don't have those situations. Because it's not characters. fun. It's not fun. Phil, what's third? Yeah, third thing, right? It's easier to adjust stories and arcs of the campaign when you have defined less of it upfront. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So. Really quick, going back to our example with the blood glyph, right? If the GM planned to put the blood glyph under the city, but after getting feedback from the players, moves it to the underwater temple um, because that's what the players wanted to have happen in the game. Correct. First, the GM didn't prep the whole five arcs up front. So no time there. Less yeah, time yeah. and less time to getting started. And second, that incorporation doesn't require any retconning or rewriting. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to change some like clue that you gave previously. Like, you know, oh, it is under the city. Oh, I meant the city under the water. Like. It's not that we GMs aren't skilled enough. Like I can pull that shit off yeah. when I need to. But if I don't have to backpedal, it's great. And for me personally, I want to give you that experience. Yeah. So yeah. I want to be flexible enough to just, you know, at the last minute, change it up. What's fourth, Jerry? Well, the next thing is that you're going to create some high emotional investment for the players because they're going to be the driving force behind how the campaign actually works. Mm-hmm. So we're going back to our early example. Um, would the players have been upset if the temple was still under the city? Probably not. But are they going to be more excited because it's a high seas adventure and... Now it's under the water. They're probably much more excited about that. Unless they don't like underwater adventures. They just want to be on the ship. 
Sure. I mean, you can't listen. I'm just kidding. Like, you, you, can't, no, you can't please them all the time. Jerry's no, correct. Yes. No, that is, no, that is, that is exactly how I feel. I like I, to be on the water, not under the water, <laughs> uh, both in real life and in games. Um, and when there's a back and forth between the player wants and what the GM delivers, you're going to have that emotional connection because the players are going to have feelings like what they're doing matters. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's next, Chris? Well, fifth and last, I suppose. It's going to create some surprises for the game master, which is... Mm-hmm pretty enjoyable from from where i'm usually sitting behind the screen and i think phil feels the same phil feels the same way man i cannot talk today but yeah you feel the same way i love it i love being surprised during a game i assume jerry likes it too when he's game master i love it when the players surprise me i love being surprised if you wait till the last minute creating all this stuff you also get to be surprised as well by the stuff that you might come up with Mm -hmm. that's that's a ton of fun too there are times when you could have an idea for an element you know an npc or something like that and then after a session, you realize that you should do something totally different because, you know, it just works better. It's, it's nice. That's one of those times where we actually get a chance to rewrite things before they actually show up at the table, which is quite enjoyable. It feels more like being a writer at that point because mm-hmm. the times that I have rewritten things uh, for stories is beyond count. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Phil, where does this thing fall short? Sure. Right. It's got it's got some shortcomings. The biggest shortcoming is, first of all, if you have a very specific story arc in mind, right, if you were like, I had this fever dream. I have this great idea for a story that I want to like play out for my players. Then you have it figured out. Like if you have a very specific idea, it's locked down. It's yeah, okay. Man. If mm-hmm. you've got that linear design adventure idea that you need to pull off, there are a ton of ways that you can do it successfully. Absolutely. Right. So like if you, if, if you're that kind, like if you wake up and you're like, I'm running a D and D campaign, but this is the story I want to tell rock on just in time might not be, it might not be the best thing for the overall campaign. You might use it to make little tweaks mm-hmm. here and there kind of thing. This technique just in time works best when you have some like high level ideas, but you're not really holding on to anything too hard, right? You're just like, yeah, it's about this thing, but we got a lot of room for what that means. Jerry. Well, this can also be a problem when you get creatively blocked. Before figuring things out ahead of time, you're going to hit a creative wall and now you're going to have some issues getting your game to the table because you don't have any ideas on what to do next. Now we're going to talk in the next section because I have some ideas on how to solve that problem. Good. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, if you just get creatively blocked and you're doing just in time, you might be like, I don't know what we're going to do this week. If you're a person who has like that frequent writer's block or if you are a newer GM and you haven't really worked up your problem solving and story building skills, you're going out on a limb on this. But like I can say 40 years of GMing, I'm pretty confident that I can whip up a solution to most of my sessions within a week. You yeah, know, if I start on a Monday and the session's on a Sunday, I'm pretty confident. And again, 40 years of, of GMing. I, I can get myself there and, and that's okay. But if you're new and you're like, oh, like sometimes I try so hard and I can't come up with ideas. This is a risk to this pro like to this technique. So strange. I feel like the farther you get into the game, the more campaign momentum just will carry you through. Yes, absolutely. Yep. hundred percent because you've, you've built up so much material. You now have so much more to draw from. It's why the pilot couple episodes of a series are always thinner and weirder than the end of that season or the beginning of the next season because you've built up so much more information to draw from. I think it's dependent on how good the storytelling is. I'm with but you. But that's me. Like, um, but sure, yes, you, that's I, valid. I, I believe you are correct in general. Like yep. 95% of the time, that is the case. That's why the, that's why the first season of every Star Trek episode, every season is okay with Strange New Worlds being a complete fucking break from that doesn't count had those a lot of those characters previously they did they had they bootstrapped themselves from from discovery but like tng season one ds9 even ds9 season one is pretty good not great 
it gets better. Lower deck season one is amazing. Oh uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. See, so yeah. that's one of those. No, ones. It's, yeah. it's, it's, anyway, it, there Chris, are definitely ones that fall out of like that said, thing. There's, yeah. there's like, like I said, one out of 20, man. I yeah. bet we can find one. Out, I mean, it's probably less than that. Two out of three times. <laughs> All right, Chris, tell us the next one. Uh, so when you get time crunched, I mean, if you haven't prepped your games in advance and you get time crunched, there's a new project for work or a new work schedule or something that just is like, oh man, you got to go do some work on some something, anything like your, your fridge breaks, your washing machine bus. You have your, a baby. You have a snowpocalypse. <laughs> yes, all of these. All of these things that'll, that can kind of put a damper on, uh, on your prep time, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a problem. Uh, Bob, what's the last one? So it's more work if you're using commercial material. Commercial material. Because commercial material is already written. Making adjustments to it is going to require more work than just running the material as written. Do you know what the most impressive thing about this is, Bob? That you actually were able to change the word from in your head from published to commercial. Unlike Damn last week. Right. Oh, did, <laughs> was there an ago. incident? There might have been an incident a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, when Bob, thing, did he Ron Burgundy it? No, he got confused because Jerry read, the, read something that wasn't on the screen. <laughs> the teleprompter <laughs> like, didn't move. He was like, what's going the on? The episode <laughs> was supposed to be politics geo, geopolitics sure and then they changed it to living campaigns because it wasn't a geopolitics no, right but they didn't tell me that they made the change and jerry starts going oh, lo, 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 living campaigns and i'm like wait a minute what the fuck just happened it was funny it was funny all right because, um, because we handle our shows with just in time campaign prep as well sometimes, sometimes. there is some just in time show prep that happens sometimes, yes. Yes. yes all right let's take a break bob Tell me about another show on the network. I would love to tell you about another show on the network. So you may have heard of this one. It's Pandas Talking Games. Never heard of it. Mm, Maybe. I think you should look them up. Uh, So queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes. Holy Lord, Phil, you're on the show? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Join Pandas Phil and Senda every Wednesday. Unless there's, you know, a hiccup. But every Wednesday, (laughs) answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop RPGs. Get cozy. And let's talk some games. I'm pretty sure that the Venn diagram of listeners of this show and the listeners of that show is also an overlap. I'm sure it is. A it's little a bit. Circle. A little bit. <laughs> I would hope I'll so. tell you, man, there is there, the, the Pandas fans that don't listen to Misdirected Mark, they are vocal, though, about being, well, we don't listen to Misdirected Mark. That show sucks. I'm like, wow, okay, <laughs> my bad. I'm yeah, there. You know? like, I'm, like, if you like the other show, Jeez. like, it's like that too look i get it like there's there's no send on that show so this show is by far lesser well, because i feel like <laughs> if that's the case then then they then you know who they're there for yeah, right? right like yeah, it's yeah. like senda and that guy that like like lets her rest her voice from time to time mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> all right let's go back to the topic all right uh like how do you actually do this i don't know how do you do this i know let's talk about you it very carefully Good ideas so it's black, so you have to tell me. I, that's I'm, I'm, I, that's <laughs> called the intro. I'm working my way oh, into it. Okay. Come on, Ron. Burgundy this up. Yeah. Okay. When you're starting the campaign, you're going to have to put a little more work in the game for just the reasons we said earlier. You got to get that foundational stuff together so that everybody can actually figure out who they are, what they're going to do, that kind of thing. And you need to figure that out too, right? Yes. So you're going to need some high-level material for that. Keep that material vague and use broad strokes. It's a king. He's corrupt. Don't not why he's corrupt or, you know, who he's in the pocket of. Like just he's a king. He's corrupt. Big, broad strokes. Yes. That's going to give you lots of room later to go in and fill that in with stuff when you need to just detail it. If you need it for session zero or session one, don't say this all the time, right? Don't plan your whole campaign because it may not get off the table. So just give yourself enough to get out the door and get it into the player's hands later in the campaign. Come back and just fill in when you need to. All right. During session zero. Get initial ideas of what people would like to see in the game. Now, you might have in your concept of the game, you might be like, hey, this is what you are. You're solar rangers, fly around the galaxy, fight bad guys. We don't have to get a ton of input from everybody. Like, 
everybody might be like, yes, I'm on board. I like your campaign premise we're in. But you might be playing something broad, like maybe you have an idea, like you want to play D&D in a specific region, but you don't really have down what to do. And so you're like, okay, what do you guys want to do? Like, oh, we want to be wandering swords. Oh, we want to be minstrels who go town to town and then also get into hijinks and stuff like that. We're hardcore mercenaries. We follow a cleric. And then you can say, cool, I'm going to grab some of that. I'm going to take that with me back for prep work. And yeah, let's build our, your your premise around that. I commend all those game masters that do that because this is definitely not me. No, no, that's definitely no. not you. You <laughs> no. always arrive. I mean, you arrive with a plan, but you could like, for instance, actually, I know this is true. When we did Forbidden Lands, like we just knew we wanted to play the game. And since the game had like wandering and traveling in it, it was like, I don't know. What do you guys want to do? And eventually it was like, well, we'd like to have a stronghold. And I'm like, I could find one of those for you. That kind of thing. So, yeah, that's entirely possible. And I think that's okay if you, like, love the setting. Sure. Like, I love the setting, love the game. What do you guys want to do? And I'm having that discussion right now in the pre-session zero with my other Sunday group about Cyberpunk Red. That game's pretty broad. What do you want this game to be about? I just want to play Cyberpunk Red and play something cyberpunky. But you guys tell me, like, do you want to be cool corporate raiders? Do you want to, like... Help a neighborhood, like what's neighborhood? neighborhood. Yeah, see, yeah. I love these guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two of us and Glenn have already had this discussion multiple times. We want a neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I was like, cool. I, like, I would like that's that's interesting to me too. Night City. You know what game mm-hmm. let me do something like that? Yeah, was Scum and Villainy. When we played Scum and Villainy, yeah. I didn't have a plan because the game helps mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. promote what the game, what what you'll be doing. Even you were what I think the two of you played in that game, right? Yeah, so yes. it was the, yeah. it was the Firefly ship. Yeah, everything was going yeah. great until we started, you know, wholesale they, slaughter. They of destroyed a star? Star system. Mm. Yeah. Well, Dark Phoenix move. There's not a lot of room for you afterwards. Yeah, we were still good guys. Uh, yeah, were, so was Gene. You were, <laughs> you were bad guys, but you did make a terrible mistake. We did make a terrible mistake. Just because mistake. you are bad guy. It does not mean that you're a bad guy. It does not mean that I'm a bad guy. guy. We accomplished our goal. <laughs> we did. All right, let me put a, let me put a cap on this. <laughs> Besides the campaign premise stuff, you need a little bit of a short arc to get the story going. What's that initial inciting incident? What is that initial story to kind of get the game going? Like, Mm -hmm. you now have characters. How do we get them into play? You're going to have to do a little extra work on this one because you have to kind of, again, the the momentum thing, right? You got to push this thing to get it going. Overcome that um, coefficient of static friction. Slow down your science, boy. Now, now I'm going to say that when you when yep. you go do that sort of thing, it doesn't have to be super specific. Um, I, I literally started a campaign where I told the players that they were all for various reasons working together because they were trying to get back a book that was stolen by Dr. McGuffin. And that laid, I mean, that, that was literally the character's name that told them exactly what was going on, why they were, why they were trying to go after this book. They knew that this was going to be, and then we kind of build what the book was and why it was important as the game went on. And I didn't tell them that part sure. of it. That was it. You guys are in town and for various reasons, we're going to talk about why each of you are there, but each of you is there because you've been told to get the book back from Dr. McGuffin. And that's all that we needed for our inciting incident. Sure. What usually helps me when I'm first trying to get that session zero concept thing in my head, and this is like what helped me immensely with Ox, was like I made up an initial adventure as a premise. And then my usually my first game I run is just that premise because I actually want to see if it's going to work, right? So the first game in Ox is the thing that I kept saying over and over. There's a fire cane closing in on a wedding. Like, what do you do? If this idea plays at the table in the first session, there's a good chance this game is going to do what I think it's going to do. I often do that because in my head, I'm like, cool, this gives me some idea. Like, what do the players do? Because you guys were asking me, like, what do we do? And I'm like, 
Yeah, like you stop a fire cane. I must have said it like 20 times before we started. We used, we used the fire cane as an yep. example so many times mm. that when you got to that first session, if you had not said <laughs> you have to stop the fire cane, <laughs> yes. we would have all looked at you like, dude. Like, why save that? Right? Like, just put it on the table yeah, right away. Sure. You'll have better ideas later. Yeah. And I know for Chris, I, I'm, I'm assuming because mm. you know the kind of story you want to tell, you have a pretty good idea, especially as a writer, what your inciting incident's going to be. Yeah, man, it has to be related to whatever the ongoing thing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. In the Archmage's <clears throat> Legacy campaign, it was go into the tomb of the Archmage that was found, follow up on the party that you're a part of a company, like a venture company, that find out what happened to the the lich that was supposedly kept down there, which they did. And Oops, he got out. It, yeah, he got out, and that also relates to all fault. of the, the themes, which is like legacy. Like everything I, about his legacy. I would like to state for the court record that we are not the ones who let him out. That's true. Thank That's you. true. It wasn't their fault. That wasn't them. It was the, it was another group of people. We did not release. By the way, that's how once you hit tenth level and you need a master as a wizard, <clears> the <throat> lich is your. Strangely enough, <laughs> the uh, the airy peaks first session was supposed to be a one shot, and it ended up being you know three years of game. And the first session was uh, let's fight some giants. Yeah, right in the first level. First level, there's a giant about to swing like a big hammer on you. It's yeah. like holy fuck! Like <laughs> yes, this game's happening right now. Yeah, like, it's go time. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. And we all went. Do we have to stop after this? Can we? He died and do this again. That giant died in the best way possible. That happened. That did happen. Somebody took him down, and I had to do the defy danger move. And Chris is like, "What stat do you want to defy danger with?" And I'm like, "I know what stat I want to use because I have a plus two in one of them. I want it to be strength." Uh But I'm like, "How do I defy danger with this falling giant with strength?" And I'm like. I cut my way through it as it falls on top of me. That's, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And I rolled like some big fat John Carter success. The white ape. And literally the giant fell on me. And the next thing in like some anime gore thing, the back blows open. Yeah, that happened. And there's the barbarian. I'm like, fuck, we got to play this game again. Like this game's cool. I, I also think that that, that helps when you do the GM because that's a, that, that is a hundred percent pulpy shit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, yeah. you, you play to your GM, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's accurate. Why do you think I have a relationship in that Ox game? Right. My GM. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Play to your GM. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the thing that we're saying here, though, about, about this, what we're talking about, is that you don't need to have a ton. Mm-mm. You can have a ton or not a ton of stuff to start with. It's just that you have to have something. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that people are at least on the same page. You got to get, like, because you got to get through character generation. Right. It doesn't matter if it's a book that everybody creates at the table together and yeah. creates mm-hmm. buy-in. It doesn't yep. matter if it's a pulpy situation that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the premise of the game. Like yep. you're going to be solving problems like this with science, mm-hmm. right? Or if it's, you know, a thematically appropriate adventure to go along with the beginning of the campaign that introduces a lot of the characters yes. and, and ideas. Actually, it didn't introduce characters. All it did was introduce ideas and highlight the main characters, which were the player characters. Yeah. And I think my, my definite feeling is I want my first adventure for a game to Feel like the game we're running. We can have sessions later that diverge from that. But your first taste of the game, my first NBA session that we ran for you guys, investigation. Mm-hmm. Right from the beginning, boom. Yep. In the end of the first session, vampire. Do not wait on it. Do not like so, like soft serve it. Like yep. boom, vampire. Yeah, man. Yeah. The Archimedes Legacy campaign, dungeon. Right. First session, traps, monsters, magical yep. stuff, high magical stuff. Like mm-hmm. that was a thing that just, it was everywhere. Yeah. You, you want to give them that taste. Like this is what we said we're playing. We're playing it yeah. right now. I assume your games are the same way. Yeah. I try to. Yeah. yeah. Get, get them, get them right in with whatever the plot's going to be and have some, some stuff. We'll talk about 
in the after show, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the MacGuffin book, but I will save that for the after show. Okay. From there, like you're running the game, like you have your beginning, now you're running a game. You design arcs, but they're kind of in a rough form. You don't need to detail everything. Mm-hmm. You design stories, but you only create the problems and let the players figure them out. That's Throw a great the skeleton way to out do there. it. Right? You put the, put the muscle and the flesh on it later. Mm-hmm. And then as you create these stories, you create the elements you need. Like you create the NPCs that they're likely to encounter. You detail some background information that will come up in the session or whatever is needed for the internal logic of the story to make sense. For instance, if I have a session that is all about talking to people, I have to build a bunch of NPCs and figure out a way to present them in a way that makes sense that everybody can remember who they are later. Yes. Hence me taking a bunch of index cards and pictures and putting names on them and then uncovering them as they meet them. Mm -hmm. That was great. Yeah. Very smart. That was a lot of fun. During the session, have a Jerry to take good notes on what the people do in the session and how that <laughs> always have a Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Very or much. take or take good notes. <laughs> that that helps a lot because that impacts the ideas that you will have later. Believe me, I've gone back and read a recap. So I'm like, oh yeah, let me just jot that down. And I got something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry, something else. Well, um, to avoid the problem of being creatively blocked, uh, I almost always will jot down some notes about possible encounters if the story goes on. If somebody mentions something that might be a fun side quest, I'll put it to the side. Maybe I just have something available when we don't have a quorum of players. And make sure that I have a couple notes with suggestions for resources that I already have on hand. I like to collect books of tables and charts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll just, for entertainment purposes, I'll roll randomly just to get some stuff together and just note down, this sounds interesting. This is a cool magic item, whatever. And this is where I go to the commercial adventures that are out there. Um, I'll go through some of my favorites and figure out which ones have good story arcs or good encounters. The old Pathfinder adventures at the back of every episode, they would have a separate mini adventure that was thematically part of the adventure that had nothing to do with the actual campaign. Some of those were great for pulling things out of. The adventure path adventures? The adventure paths. I don't remember those. Yes. Either. So you'd have the adventure path itself. Yeah. So that would be like Shadow in the Sky, which was the one about the dark elves coming back mm-hmm. to, the, to the world at the, at the port city. You'd have the first adventure, which was all about running a casino. And then there was a small section about one of the rogues in the city that you hear mentioned about but isn't part of the story and what's in their place and what their secondary plot is and that they're trying to put together a crew to get a boat to go out to sea and all. it was a like a little four-page adventure hmm. but you could put it anywhere but i've done that with other i'll go through adventures scenes encounters sometimes i'll just find vault of the drow there's you know this these five rooms made an interesting encounter i'm just going to pull those out and put them aside somewhere but let's have those sitting in the back of my mind so that if i have to just in time i can come in and go okay i've got this already set aside Go to those pages, write down a couple of notes while everybody's hitting the bathroom before the game starts, and that's I'm ready to go. But use those commercial adventures. And also, when I'm running a commercial adventure itself, I will read through it real quickly and just make notes on how, yeah, my players aren't going to do this. I'm just going to scratch that out and put something else in there. Or I expect that, you know, so-and-so has a, a winged kitten. Well, Bridget's going to try to get that as part of the party. Absolutely. So I'm going to make a note in there on how they're going to do that so that when it gets there, because that can be its own little encounter on its own. Oh, yeah. Change a name, shift a location, do whatever, and you've got an adventure for the week. If you are somebody who collects lots of charts and tables and things like that, have them available. And if you need to do just in time, just roll some dice and see what comes up. Oftentimes, that'll spur your brain along. It's actually time saving, <clears throat> just in time adventure design right there. Yep. If, you yeah. have a, if you have that broad collection of adventures that you have a pretty good knowledge of, just mm-hmm. pull one out, pop mm-hmm. it in there. Nice. For me, at the after the end of a session, I love getting feedback on what the characters want to do next. Phil does this all the time too, mm-hmm. and. You can do it right away if you want, or you can do it through whatever communication your group uses. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stars and wishes person these days. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be, but I actually really like it a lot. The wishes part especially, because it lets me know what's, what people are enjoying, what they want to see next. Uh-huh. I always, I mean, you guys know this. I always ask at the end of a session, what do you guys want to do next? And I write it right on my index card so that when I go to my prep, like my notes for the next session, I actually just take the card and put it on the other window that I'm working from. Yep. And often I take them as headers 
and put them into my prep because it's like you guys all said you wanted to do this. Boom, boom, boom. And now I'm going to make sure I specifically prepped each one of those things. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, and I have my own thoughts about this mm-hmm. too, is it should be, should this be a session or a story? Because you kind of know where you're going in a story because the conflict is obvious, but I feel like it doesn't hurt to ask because some games they're easier to see the past than others. Yeah. So I actually do both. And it, the question's a little different. They are. In a session, I want to know what thing you want to do next to advance the story along. Mm-hmm. Like for Knights Black Agents, that's super wide open. Like it, it helps me if you tell me like, oh, we want to go follow this guy. Cool. I'm going to put some stuff in about that. Otherwise, I'm going to wing it during the game, but that's also fine. But if you just tell me in advance, I'll, I'll actually make sure I put a little prep around it. When I get to the end of a story, it's even more important to me. Like, what thing do you guys want? Like for Ox, what do you want to do next? You guys were like, oh, we're going to find Castellium. And I'm like, cool, I will get working on how sure. to do that. I think that as a player and as a GM, it's important to look at these after every session as a, as a GM, because if the players tell you where they want to go, even if you're not to the end of the story yet, it helps you with your next session to put in some of the hooks and things that you need to do to drive them in the direction they want or give them the, the resources. And as a player, tell your GM where you want to go, because it's going to do two things for you. Number one is it's going to give the GM some help on where to go, but it's also going to help you out because the GM will take whatever ideas you've got a lot of times they'll find ways to make that happen so that if you want something else to happen in the game, and I'm not talking about like, I want to be able to kill a monster. I'm saying something like, you know, I'd like to be able to go to Castilium. I want to be able to learn more about my missing brother, whatever. They can start to lay the groundwork for that in the next session of the story and go from there. To me, the interesting <clears throat> thing about this question is I will sometimes run sessions that end in the middle of like a dungeon. Then I know what they're doing next time we get together. Oh, yeah, player, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I still ask the question because I like to try to find out what they enjoyed and what they would like to see more of from the previous mm-hmm. session or what they might want that they didn't get in that previous session. But even if I'm in a dungeon, right? Like, so let's say we're in the middle of a dungeon. You ask me like, Hey, what are you looking for? Like forward to in the next session? Like I know, of course we're going to be exploring rooms or whatever, Yeah. but I may say to you, like, it's imperative. We get a place for a long rest. Sure. Like, that's like, important. Like, to hear. I'm, yeah, like that's I'm running key. a little ragged here. My main goal, like when we start playing next session is like, we need to find a secure enough place for a long rest. And that may be the prompt for you to look through and be like, yeah, this is probably the best area that that could probably happen or, in. Or you could turn around and be like, well, you could always try to make your way back out of the dungeon and go back to town. Sure, sure. It's that kind of game, right? Sure. But maybe I don't want to get out of the dungeon or it's got some weird yeah. environmental thing that getting out is going to be, you know, hard to get back in uh-huh. or whatever. And but yeah, so, at least I can tell them I, you can make that choice as a game master, yeah. depending on what kind of game you're playing. Right. Yeah, There's definitely like little goals like that. Like uh-huh. it might be like, oh, you know what? If we get a break, I really want to identify these objects. Because mm-hmm. what if I'm playing Torchbearer? Oh, I'm playing like Torchbearer, very like, different. you need to make your way out or if yes. i'm playing a game that is supposed to simulate if, if i'm playing D and i want that to be the style of play that i'm going to that i want to play because man let me tell you there, there's not really a great style of play associated with the Dungeons and dragons rule set it's, it's so broad broad that yeah. you can do uh, you can you can work at it to play a variety of styles of play mm-hmm. i mean fighting is there for sure exploration is there for sure but man in those mid levels those lower mid levels like you can stick somebody in a dungeon let them make some difficult choices about being stuck in that dungeon like if they're deep underground mm-hmm. like there's some interesting things you could do I mean, yeah. yeah it's also important though because you can also tell the uh the gm it doesn't be something specific it could be something like you know hey my character wants to learn more about that ancient language that we've got but i don't yes. have to trade something for it so i'm going to be looking for something in the dungeon that I can trade when I get back to town for the adventure. Because mm-hmm. if, the, if you suddenly just magically find a book of translation, that sounds kind of odd. Sure. But if you tell the GM, I'm looking for something I can trade later on, then the GM might find something that will lead you to the hook that what you need later on. The other important, the other reason why it's good to tell the GM at the end of every session what you enjoyed, not only is it a good boost for the GM, who sometimes feels like this didn't go well and everybody actually had a good time with it, but also if you tell the GM what you enjoyed doing, 
they'll do that again. Mm-hmm. Maybe yes. not the exact same way, but you'll get more of the things that make you happy. So it's good to tell them that because even if it's not giving the GM like, this is what I want to do next. If you said, I really enjoy doing X, then the GM for the next session, when they're trying to plan their just in time, you know what? Two sessions from now, I'm going to do something like that with a twist because they enjoyed it this time. I'm going to do it a little differently, but do something like that. And it makes it easier for them to come up with an idea of how to take the ideas they've got and make it something that the players will work with. 90% the same and 10% different equals popularity. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Perfect. And I very much, if a player tells me something like, oh, I really want to get something so that when we get back to town, I can work on translation. Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, sure, no problem. I'm, I guarantee you in the next like four rooms, something's going to be there. If it wasn't before, it will be soon. Just because the player is taking that initiative. Like, oh, I want to search for Mm -hmm. that. Oh, I'm going to help you find it. And if it's super rare, like if it's like something really obscure, I'm going to help you find it. There'll be some strings yeah, attached. It doesn't have to be easy. Like it's cursed. I, I, had, I had a GM that was running a game that, well, it wasn't a great game itself. My character was an archaeologist. And I told him I just was looking for artifacts, ancient pottery, whatever. It made it easy for the GM. Every time we went into a dungeon, we found something unusual. that was just a little different that my character wanted. Sure. Now I had a reason to explore, grab this, whatever, and um, draw the rest of the party. So yep. next on. Go ahead. So at the end of the arc, you got to ask the players what kind of arc they want to do. We, we, it's just oh, another yeah. scaled level mm-hmm. up from what we've been talking about. This very fractal. Time. Yeah, it's very yeah. fractal. And then you can collaborate with them on what, what they're up to. I've just done that. Like, you guys going to go to space? You guys going to deal with something else? Deal with the dragon situation? Space. They're like, we're going space. to space. I'm like, all right, that's good. That's what I assumed they were going to do. My campaign yeah. hasn't gotten to the space part yet. Yeah. Our captain's got some issues. Yes. Uh, so then you revise your ideas based on what was discovered during mm-hmm. play. It's, it's a great way to do it. And then yep. you can update your arc and session ideas and any potential mm-hmm. elements that may have come up during play. This is just, just lets you have ideas that you can constantly revise until you get to the point where you actually need to use them. Yeah, there, there's this tipping point where at some point, and I made this point earlier, where you then have to commit to locking a thing into place. Yeah. I held off on that Castilian thing for like the longest time. And then I was like, well, this is the session where that's yep. going to get figured out by the players. Yep. I'm now locking it into place. Mm-hmm. Now what's in Castilian? I still don't have a complete idea yet. I got some, I got some rough ideas, but we'll see. Jerry, tell us about ending the campaign. First of all, just a lot of this is going to sound like the episode from a few weeks ago. So we're going to keep it very short. When you feel the campaign is getting close to an ending, talk to the players about the last arc and what they want to do in it. Make sure that the players are driving the shape of that last arc and then take all the information that you've gained through the campaign, build out stories and wrap up subplots as well as get the main plot to a satisfying end. That's pretty much it. Yep. We got a whole art. We got a whole uh, episode about that. that. Ending campaigns. We yeah. We just did we did a nice job on that one. Yes, we did. All right. So by way of wrap up, this just in time thing, the good chance you're actually doing it. You just didn't know it had a name. It didn't. I just made up a name for it. It's fine. Now we we all have a name for it. We like to name things. Yeah, we like naming things. We do this all the time. Yeah, this is kind of our bullshit. We've been doing it for ten years. Yes. Wow. Fuck. That's a long time. Anyway, the idea behind it is by not defining things heavily up front, you give yourself a lot of room to absorb what's going on in the game and actually deliver things not only at the last minute, but deliver them so that they're really tailored to the expectations of the players, the campaign and everything else. I find it, and I think you guys will agree, I find it to be a very satisfying way to run a campaign. Players enjoy it. I know I enjoy it. You know, since I've really like really leaned into it, like it really pays off for me when I run games. All right, let's go to the conversation corner. Let's do that. Yeah, I um, my one thing for this week, um, I don't normally uh, prior to Thanksgiving partake of any kind of Christmassy type things. I tend to avoid that kind of stuff. Get me past Thanksgiving. Christmassy stuff starts like December 1st. 
I usually don't get into it until like closer to Christmas. But I already a Christmas cookie. Yeah. Or five. I normally hit Christmas. I don't blame about, you. I normally hit Christmas about December 20th to go yeah. for it. That's, that's usually where I am. Not me, baby. But <laughs> there was an advertisement for a Christmas movie on Apple TV, which starred Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell called Spirited. And it was another take on the Christmas Carol thing. And I thought, oh, okay. I'm like, it's a Christmas Carol. It's Scrooged. It's, you know, all of those. But this one's got Ryan Reynolds. Will Ferrell is one of those guys that sometimes I really enjoy his work in a movie. And sometimes I'm like, too much, too much Will, too, too goofy, lay off. I will never watch Step Brothers ever. That being said, I went into this thinking, okay, it is a Christmas Carol. What I did not know because I had not seen all of the trailers for it, it's a musical. Let me say that again. It's a musical. Love it. That means Bob watched a musical. (laughs) Now, I am not opposed to musicals. Uh, I have enjoyed many musicals. I just wasn't expecting it to be a musical. Once I was like, oh, okay. Will Ferrell, not the greatest singer in the world, but with his character, it comes off. The thing that really struck me about this film is it's not just another rehash of A Christmas Carol. It's not just... Here's the three ghosts coming at you live, and we're going to spook you into changing your person and, and being a better person and all that. Blah, blah, blah. They added another layer to it, and then it didn't end the way I expected it to end. There are parts of it that are very, very predictable, but they did an interesting thing with it that I found to be very cool. Okay. So I really enjoyed it. Um, if you have Apple TV, I recommend it. I found it to be very entertaining. Again, if you're, if you're a Ryan Reynolds fan at all, Ryan Reynolds in his purest form. I mean, he's, you can tell he's enjoying himself. Does it have Lee Majors with a minigun? It does not have Lee Majors with a minigun. However, there are other things in it that... Uh, it sounds really good, actually. I mean, let's put it this way. No, I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> There's, there are things about this movie. It's entertaining. So that's, that's my thing. Spirited, Apple TV, Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell. Fun. Jerry, tell us. My one thing is Slumberland. This is a modern retelling of the Little Nemo in Slumberland story which has been done in cartoons and originally was a comic strip from the 30s. Uh, in the comic book strip, it's a little boy who falls asleep. Every time he falls asleep, he has adventures in Slumberland. This is about a girl named Nemo who she and her dad run a lighthouse, and her dad tells her stories every day about the adventures of this outlaw named Flip and how they would run around causing trouble and all that and uh, the outlaw code and everything. And then one day he goes out and drowns at sea. Ooh. What? Spoiler. And she sees it in her dreams where he's basically eaten alive by a squid made of smoke. <laughs> I mean, as you do. Yeah. So she ends up going to live with her uncle, played by Chris O'Dowd from the IT crowd. He's her uncle and he's very quiet and very straight laced and doing his best to raise his niece. And she wants no part of it. But every night when she goes to sleep, she ends up back in Slumberland where she now is convinced that she can find a way to save her father and see him. And she ends up teaming up with her father's old outlaw sidekick, Flip played by Jason Momoa as basically a giant forest troll. Love it. And Flip has to follow the outlaw code. And the two of them end up every time she goes to sleep, getting in adventures. And it's the stories her father told her that help her to connect with Flip every time she goes into the Summerland. And Flip has stolen a map of all of the holes that let you jump into other people's dreams. And the problem is if you die in your own dream, you're fine. If you die in somebody else's dream, you're dead. Seems Mm. like a problem. In addition, the Dream Authority code is chasing after both of them, trying to catch them a la Loki. And oh, of course, you have to have Dream Police. So Dream Police, exactly. Dream, dream Police, police. So they live inside of your head. Uh, oh, get, I will say that. Everybody there went fast, fast. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, 
they, they find a way to go through it, and there's a lot of little cheap tricks that they pull off. Oh, but um, and they uh, that's good. Anyway, it's, it's worth it's worth seeing. It's it's fun. It's it's a it's a family level film. There's not going to be a lot of super high tension. There are some really funny jokes. Jason Momoa basically just having a ball playing exactly what you expect him to play as a giant forest troll. Um, the girl playing Nemo does a great job and it resolves in a way that's a little different. And Chris O'Dowd is just amazing because he has to play a very straight laced, quiet character in this, unlike most of the comedic roles that he's done. And they build the characters up. It's got a lot of good role building. So I would recommend that it. it's fun. It's only like an hour and a half long. It's a neat little show and I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was. Chris, I'm going to talk about one thing from my Las Vegas trip. Yeah. So on Friday night, we went down to Fremont Street, which is old Las Vegas, where the old Vegas Strip is. Mm-hmm. And over there is a pizza shop called Evil Pie. Oh, I know this place. I've seen Evil it on TikTok. Pie. Seen tell me show. more. Tell, I will tell you yes. more. They serve all kinds of weird pies. And there's like a little hole in the wall bar with a, that serves pizza. And like you can get like a 420 pizza or like they have like a bunch of weirdly named like you would see on beer type pizzas. But they have a pizza there called the Reaper. And this <sighs> Reaper is described as a five alarm spicy pie. That is made with habanero chili sauce, chili pepper infused mozzarella, sriracha marinated chorizo sausage, and sliced jalapeno peppers. There's like another thing on there, but I can't remember what it is. No. <laughs> Me and my brother were like, my brother was like, we got to go do this thing. We got to go have a slice of this pizza. And we're like, I'm like, fine, I'll go, I'll go eat it. It'll be hot, whatever. We're from Buffalo. It's fine. Oh, no. <laughs> Narrator voice. It was hot. It's going to get better. We go there. We find out that they don't just make a, like a pie that you can buy slices of this from. You got to buy, the, buy pie. the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. a 20 inch pizza. It's worth 50 bucks. It has all those things on it. And then there's an eating competition that goes along with it. Oh, I've, now, now I know I've met your brother only a handful of times, but I feel like this is a recipe for disaster. You have to eat three slices of this pizza in yes. 10 minutes. Yes. If you do, you get your name on social media and your picture on social media. You get a t-shirt that says, I survived the Reaper. So they told us this and me and my brother look at each other. Are we going to do this? He's like, I don't know. Should we do this? I'm like, yeah, we'll do this. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So then we sat, we ordered this pizza. We sat down. They announced it to the whole bar, which there was like, you know, 50 people in there. So we had about 25 to 30 people cheering us on slash heckling us as we tried to eat three slices of this pizza each in less than 10 minutes. And we both succeeded. Oh, congratulations. I was going to say narrator voice. They did not get a t-shirt. You know what? It wasn't as hot as I thought it was. I mean, I was sweating. My brother was not. My brother was like a machine. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he finished it in like eight minutes. It took me like nine minutes and 30 seconds to finish the third slice. And the worst part was it wasn't, um, we couldn't dip it in water. So we couldn't do that. You just had to eat it. I was, I was, I was pouring sweat at one point in time, but it didn't like my mouth was fine. Like it didn't hurt. The, the worst part was that it was like a doughy, crispy slice of pizza. So it tore up the top of my mouth trying to eat it. Like, the, like I, it took like three days for my mouth to heal, but we had a good time with it. And that's, um, awesome. that's the important part. You had I, a good time. I felt awful after I was done eating that. Yes. <laughs> I felt awful. If I took one bite of that pizza, my would, colon would literally yeah. explode. I mean, it would explode. <laughs> you, you know what the worst part about it was? Is that the Six pizza hours was... later? No, well, that was, that, <laughs> yeah, was, that was the second worst part about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like eight hours later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the worst part about it was that the pizza was actually delicious. I would have liked to have just sat and ate it. Yes, just instead like, of enjoy it instead, instead of, of inflicting it on yourself. Yeah. It was it was hilarious because my uh, my other my my brother in law was there too with us, and he was like, "I'll, I'll take a bite." We took like three bites. I was like, "Nope, I'm done." Nope, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> like Kramer with the contest, I'm out. Yeah, everybody else, like my sister, my sister in law, my mom, were all there, and they all tried some of it. And they had like the, the between the five of them, they ate a piece. The same reaction. Oh yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think I'm good for high end heat. Like I I like a good hot wing and stuff like that, but like. When you get into like ghost pepper, reaper and things like that, I'm like, mm, so the, I, I'm, I'm okay. The heat index on a habanero is only 350,000. No, no, habanero is okay. 
It's like when you it's get not, like Scotch Bonnet and Ghost yeah, Pepper. Are, that's that's too much for see, me. See, my, my yeah. problem is I like the heat. Like I like like Frank's and that kind of stuff. But I don't want it so hot that I can't taste what else is going on. And I also don't like the flavor of some peppers. Sure. And so, so I, I like hot stuff. I just, it's, it's very peculiar hot stuff. Like when, yeah. when, when cold weather hits, I will take a shot of hot sauce every morning. I'll just drink it. Like, like the water. Yeah, man, Jen loves habanero. No, no, Jen loves Tabasco or hot sure. sauce, yeah. but she doesn't like habanero at all. Yeah. So she was like, she took a bite of it and she's like, ah, it just doesn't taste good to me. Mm-hmm. She could have done that too if she wanted oh, to. Sure. Because she, she can deal with you better than I can. Yeah. But apparently we're on the, we have a t-shirt, social media shout outs, and our name was carved into the wall of legends. Nice. So, so it's funny you mention it because I was like TikToking and like there was just a thing that came up with that challenge on my TikTok. And I'm like, oh yeah, I watched it, like, you know, liked it or whatever. And then as soon as you mentioned, I'm like, oh, I just saw this thing. <laughs> they, uh, they set that pizza on fire too. It's really cool. Yeah. Like they bake the top cheese layer with, by setting it on fire and we have to blow it out and then start, then they, then they hit the timer and we go. That's fun. It was a good time. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Phil. Yeah. So uh, Thanksgiving's approaching. And now that I've gotten into cooking, my mom was like, what do you bring into Thanksgiving? I was like, cool, I'll make the cranberry sauce because I like not canned cranberry sauce. So I'm like, I'll make that. But I remember from like last time, last time I made it. Yeah, I made a shit ton of it because you only buy cranberries like in certain size bags. And I was like, fuck, what am I going to do with the rest of these cranberries? You don't need this. Nobody needs this much cranberry sauce. Right. So this year I was like, wait, I know how to make muffins now. I'm like, I will make the cranberry sauce and I will make cranberry orange muffins. Mm. So I was like, all right, cool. So I'm like, I'm going to do that. I pledged to do that. So then my father sent me a gift at it. Like just randomly, he sent me one of those Bluetooth wireless temperature probes that you Mm -hmm. put into meat. Mm -hmm. It's called a thermal spike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you just put it in and on your phone, you're like, cook this guy to 161. And it like beeps your phone and it's like, it's time to take the roast out of the oven kind of thing. Now, you know, I take pride in my turkey. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, I can't just show up with an untested probe, you know, and just put it in the bird and good luck. Probes must be tested. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a pork roast this weekend. That was awkward. So Only I'm like, I'm going to make a pork it. roast. And then because I like I'm cycling my own bullshit here. I'm like, ah, what am I going to eat with this pork roast? I'm like, you know what? I can make popovers, which are these like savory, mm-hmm. like muffin things. And I'm like, I'll make popovers. Well, I, then I should make pork gravy. I'll make a pork yeah. roast. I'll make the cranberry sauce. I'll make muffins. And then we were going to have a game. And I like to make stuff for you guys when we have uh, when we have a game. So I'm like, wait, I still have eight frozen snickerdoodle. I'll, I'll, I'll just whip those up on Sunday. You know, I can quickly just roll them in some cinnamon sugar. Because I've got time for all of this. Dude, I had to make a plan from Friday night through Sunday, which is why when the game got canceled because Chris's travel ban, you were like, hey, do you want to do something? I'm like, nah. <laughs> I'm fucking spent. <laughs> yep. So I have all of that that I'm bringing. I'm bringing the cranberry sauce, and the muffins, but I also had made bread like a week or two ago and froze it. So I'm bringing homemade bread because the Wednesday night we're having like an Italian dinner before Thanksgiving. So I was like, I-, I will bring the bread. Phil had his own British bake off in his house. I was, I was hauling ass. Let me tell you, the muffins came out good. I, I'm bringing 11 muffins because I ate one muffin. Of course you did. Plus I ate a bunch of the batter. They didn't have cranberries in the batter, but it had the orange zest. And I was like, Oh, this is fucking good. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that was my, like, I, it was cool. And I'm actually preparing to do it for you guys for the Christmas party. Let us do some Patreon shout outs. We are running out of time. We got a hustle, man. Oh yeah. We got a burn. Uh, so thank you super much to JT Evans, Jared Rasher, Jen Pixelscapes Gagney, Jim Fitzpatrick, Joseph Peralta, Kathleen Halperin, Michael Draper, my Brett, not really mine, but somebody's Ninjabi and the Rainmaker. And thanks to everyone for listening. 
If you enjoy this podcast, you can get more content like this at misdirectedmark.com where we have over, listen to me, over 1,300 podcast episodes All on episodes. various shows. And if that isn't enough, hit our Patreon um, stuff because we got hundreds of bonus episodes all hanging out on patreon.com slash MMP. Now, those 1,300-plus episodes include some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Bonestone Obsidian, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnomecast, Bonus Experience, and the all-new Thacko with Advantage. Also, you can catch the back episodes of The Amazing She's a Super Geek. If that still isn't enough for you, I suggest checking out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, GM Mastermind, and Mastery Dungeons. Then leave us some feedback. Reliably, right now, Hit us up on the old fashioned emails at MMP at misdirectedmark.com. Venture out onto Twitter at your own safety out there. The show in the network is at misdirectedmark. And currently we are all still there. Robert M. Everson. Yep. GM Gerrymander. Hey. The Light 101. And I'm DNA Phil. And if you want to talk to us directly, really get your feedback put in there, just join the Patreon because of the yep. Slack channel. The yep. Slack, Slack channel is the best way to get hundred percent, yeah. 100%. That's yep. like a direct line. Awesome. Hey, hey, Bob, remember that patron I just mentioned? Yeah, the Patreon that you just mentioned with the hundreds of bonus episodes. If you want to support us and the other shows from Mr. Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. It gets you access to the after show podcast, the show notes, the Bamboo Lounge, the Slack channel where you can really come in and talk to us. And sometimes we do some special stuff. Well, this has been a misdirected mark production, which is the media arm of encoded designs. Mike drop. We out. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your break, everybody. Merry we Christmas, love you happy all. holidays, whatever. Yay. Bye-bye.